From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, a flebercept for retinal vein occlusion. This was really the first time that that direct comparison was made. First this. If time and money were no object, you'd probably go to a lot of meetings. Not just ASCRS, but ESCRS, APACRS, AAO, Hawaiian Eye, and Winter Update, and you'd learn a ton. But money is an issue, and time an even bigger one. That's why I go to all of those meetings for you. Speak with the presenters you'd like best, and get them to distill their talks down to just a few minutes. You can see all of these interviews at no cost at the iWorld Replay website. Just go to ewreplay.org, E-W-R-E-P-L-A-Y.org, and enjoy. In medicine, we're used to incremental improvement. Even in the transition from extracapsular cataract surgery to fecal emulsification, the initial benefits were modest. But this has not at all been the case with the advent of anti-VEGF drugs, which have dramatically changed patients' prognoses and abruptly changed treatment protocols. Today, we hear about the Vibrant study, a comparison of a flebercept to grid laser therapy for retinal vein occlusions from one of its authors, Peter Campachero. What is the pathogenesis of edema in retinal vein occlusion? Is it just the sort of pressure head of, of fluid backup from occlusion, or is there something else going on? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. And, you know, uh, previously, it was really thought that because of the occlusion, you'd get an increase in uh, intraluminal pressure and increase in tissue pressure, and this would result in edema. And that may play some role, but one of the things we've learned from the development of potent anti-VEGF drugs is that the occlusion merely starts the process off. And because of the occlusion, there is reduction in perfusion throughout the retina. And then there's increased production of VEGF. And the VEGF then is the major cause of the edema. And the way that we know that is that when we block VEGF, we can pretty much eliminate the edema in most patients. And so that tells you that it's, it's the VEGF, not some uh, problem with the uh, intraluminal pressure or pressure in the tissue that's the major cause of the edema. Prior to the development of anti-VEGF agents, prior to the, the BRAVO study, what was conventional therapy for uh, RVO-associated edema? Oh, there were a whole host of things. Um, and, you know, it, it was basically because there was no good treatment. Um, but for branch vein occlusion, it was grid laser therapy, which did have some efficacy. There were procedures to try to uh, circumvent the occlusion. So there was laser treatments to try to make anastomoses between the choroidal circulation and the retinal circulation. There was 
surgical procedures uh, to try to um, eliminate the obstruction uh, for branch vein occlusion. It was unsheathing the vessels to try to give more room around where uh, the occlusion was. And for for uh, central retinal vein occlusion, it was radial uh, cuts in the optic nerve head, thinking that the uh, there was tightness around the outflow for the central retinal artery. We're going to be talking in the context of, of your study about the efficacy of a flebercept, just briefly, what is the difference between a flebercept and ranibizumab? So a flebercept is a recombinant protein that incorporates the binding domains from VEGF receptor 1 and VEGF receptor 2 with a IgGFC fragment. So it's basically what we call a receptor body as opposed to an antibody. Whereas ranibizumab is an antibody fragment. So it's derived from a monoclonal antibody that binds VEGF. And it, it just includes a portion that's responsible for the binding. So it's not a full-length antibody. So one is a smaller molecule um, and that's derived from an antibody. And the other is a somewhat larger molecule that not only binds VEGF A, but also binds placental growth factor. Now, I'm, I'm very eager to talk about the, the Vibrant study, um, which is going to be the subject of, of our, our conversation today. But to sort of set the stage, can I get you to talk about the, the Bravo study, what that was and what it found? And then we can talk about what the differences are in terms of experimental design between Vibrant and Bravo. Okay, well, the Bravo study was one of the first major studies to investigate um, an anti-VEGF agent, uh, ranibizumab, in patients with branch retinal vein occlusion. And the study was designed uh, such that two doses of ranibizumab were tested versus sham injections. Uh, and uh, 0.3 milligrams of ranibizumab or 0.5 milligrams of ranibizumab was compared to, to sham. Now, patients could receive grid laser therapy if the investigator felt that uh, they were not, do <clears throat> not doing well. But uh, basic setup was to just compare the ranibizumab to, to no treatment. And what it demonstrated was that the anti-VEGF agent or ranibizumab had a remarkable effect in reducing edema and improving vision. And after six months, uh, the effect was, was statistically significant and very dramatic. So the, although laser was part of the study, it was really only part of a sort of rescue therapy wing, and it was not a comparison of an anti-VEGF agent to a different therapeutic option like laser. It was a comparison of an anti-VEGF agent to just sham therapy. How does the uh, the experimental design of Vibrant um, differ from, from this? And, and while you're on that, let me ask you also to discuss what the the inclusion and exclusion 
criteria were and, and the, the the treatment methodology and 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 the and the outcome measures uh, that were followed okay well um, vibrant compared grid laser therapy to uh, a flibercep and uh, initially patients had to have macular edema due to branch vein occlusion the vision range was um, 2040 to uh, 2320. They could not have some other cause of vision loss other than macular edema due to branch vein occlusion. So the patients who were eligible were randomized either to receive grid laser therapy or intraocular injections of a flippercept. Uh, and a- after monthly injections for six months uh, or uh, the grid laser therapy with an with the possibility of receiving a second grid laser therapy after three months, uh, patients were then compared at the primary endpoint of six months. And what were the results at the twenty four month mark? And then we'll we're, we're, we'll we'll move on to the the sixty four month excuse me the the fifty two month data because that's a little bit different. Yeah. So after twenty four. Uh, weeks, um, the primary endpoint, um, the uh, intraocular flibercept showed a a very dramatic improvement in in vision um, and much greater than the grid laser therapy. And this was really the first time that that direct comparison was made. And one of the criticisms in the Bravo trial was that there was previously a uh, a treatment that had been shown to be effective and it wasn't compared to the new treatment. And Vibrant is is the study that first did that and found that the anti-VEGF agent of Flibercept is much, much more efficacious than grid laser therapy. The uh 24-week data showed a very substantial difference, as, as you just said, between the grid laser group and the aflibercept group. And I'm, I'm assuming that this is part of um, what uh, motivated the, the change in the treatment protocol from the 24-week mark to the 52-week mark, in which the laser treatment group was then uh, treated with aflibercept. Can I get you to, to talk about what the treatment protocol was for the second half of the study. Yeah, so in the second half of the study, the uh, patients who had originally been randomized to a flibercept uh, then uh, received a flibercept every two months rather than every month. And the patients who were previously randomized to grid laser therapy received three injections of a flibercept a month apart and then uh, every two months. And so what it allowed was first to determine if patients had been treated with grid laser therapy, could they then improve once treated with a flibercept? And it also tested whether patients who were treated every month with a flibercept could maintain the benefit that they achieved if they were switched to every two months. What adverse events other than things like discomfort or subconjunctival hemorrhage were observed in the two treatment groups? Well, there was one patient in a flibercept group in which 
the lens was damaged during intraocular injection. There were minor injection-related adverse events, such as subconjunctival hemorrhage, but no real major adverse events. And none of the systemic adverse events were felt to be uh, related to the aflibercept injections. It was noted in the second half of, of, of the study, in the sort of week 24 to week 52, that there was a tremendous improvement in central, retinous, uh, central retinal thickness in the laser treatment arm who then went on to um, be treated with a flebercept that they 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 um, had a an 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 improvement uh, in edema um, that had not been manifest with just laser treatment, but did the post laser a flebercept group ever achieve parity with a group that was treated with a flebercept from the start? No, not within the second six months between six months in and in 12 months. So, uh, you know, it, it demonstrates that a delay in treatment and even if grid laser therapy is given can certainly delay uh, efficacy and um, in some cases, you know, prevent achieving a similar level of efficacy compared to patients who are started on anti-VEGF uh, right from the start. The improvement in central retinal thickness after 24 months when the laser patients received a flebercept suggests that VEGF is that VEGF is being produced even 24 weeks after the RVO event. Did that surprise you? No, it doesn't surprise us, uh, particularly based upon our previous studies. Um, in the uh, retained study, we found that patients with either branch vein occlusion or central vein occlusion uh, tend to require treatment uh, for many years so that after four years of treatment, only 50% of branch vein occlusion patients get to the point where they're no longer producing VEGF and require treatments and only 44% of CRVO patients. So if you'd asked me several years ago if that's what I expected, I, I would have said no, that we, we would have expected that at a certain point you'd get recanalization and collateral formation and that that would result in resolution of the problem. But we've now learned that, that retinal vein occlusion is a chronic problem and it's the initial stages that result in the high level production of VEGF that then fuels the, the disease and causes additional capillary non-perfusion that can lead to chronicity in terms of the edema and other problems uh, that come along with vein occlusion. So for, for, for me, this was an absolutely fascinating paper, not, not only obviously in its very, very practical demonstration of the benefit of, of this, this therapy, but in, in the insight that it gives us into this sort of underlying pathogenesis. Peter, I want to thank you so much for your generosity with your time with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Peter Campicero is the director of the Retinal Cell and Molecular Laboratory and professor of ophthalmology at the Wilmer Eye Institute in Baltimore, Maryland. His paper, 
intravitreal aflibercept for macular edema following branch retinal vein occlusion appears in the February 2016 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Campachera or any of our previous guests or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.